that they all may be one. You all know that's the motto of the United Church of Christ. That they all may be one. But we aren't one, are we? We are a world divided. We are a church that is too often divided. I've had quite a week reflecting on this. I had a very nice invitation from the White House earlier uh, this month to join them for the welcome ceremony of Pope Francis on Wednesday. And so I'm looking forward tomorrow to leave for Washington, D.C. Can we uh, downsize the scope of this microphone a little bit? To... And uh, I'm looking forward to being there because I think that Pope Francis offers for us a opportunity to envision a more unified church, a church that doesn't judge as often as we have in the past and finds more common ground. That makes me very happy. But I've been also a little bit distressed over the last couple days because there was an article on the front page of the Washington Journal the day before yesterday that said that the Vatican was upset at the people the White House had invited to the welcome ceremony because it included people like Sister Simone Campbell, a good friend of mine who runs the Nuns on the Bus Project. You know Sister Simone? I had her out to Pacific uh, this last year. Sister Simone is a faithful Christian who lifts up economic justice issues and concerns for the poor. And they were upset that Bishop Eugene Robinson was going to be there because they thought that an openly gay bishop should not be in attendance where Pope Francis was in attendance. But I was happy to see that the Vatican very quickly denied this report. They, they said that they had no comment whatsoever on the guest list and that, that they had not said anything to the uh, Wall Street Journal. And I think maybe it was the Wall Street Journal that was upset about the guest list and <laughs> not so much the Vatican that was upset about the guest list. But it reminded me again about how, how fractured we are. And then I woke up yesterday and there on my email was a story from a libertarian website. And it said, the Reverend Chuck Curry is a stark, raving lunatic. <laughs> it was written by a Christian libertarian who was upset with me because I had had the audacity to say that if you run a business, you should not be allowed to discriminate against gays and lesbians because in America we are a free nation and discrimination is not constitutional and it is certainly not Christian. And for this, my prize is to be called a stark raving lunatic. But that's all right. I can live with that. I can live with that. But then yesterday, I started to get tweet after tweet on my Twitter feed. And I mean tweet after tweet. They just kept coming all day long, one after another after another, from very, very angry brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And what were they mad at me about? They were mad that I had stood up and said that I support Planned Parenthood. Because I believe that we ought to respect the moral agency of women to make their own health care decisions. And that the government shouldn't be shut down for these partisan political reasons. That's not, that's not what we should be doing. And our church has long stood up and said that women ought to be able to make their own health care decisions. And so these people tweeted me, tweet after tweet, that I was not a real Christian, that Jesus was going to come and judge me, and judge me harshly, and judge me very, very soon. <laughs> and I wasn't going to like the judgment. And I know something about this. I know something about this on a personal basis, because in the early 1980s, out in Forest Grove, people who called themselves Christians bombed the clinic that my mother worked at as a certified nurse midwife three times because one of the doctors there performed abortions. She delivered babies, he performed abortions, and they both agreed that women ought to be able to make their own decisions, but they tried to kill them. And then when she moved on to become the director of the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Beaverton, somebody sent her a letter bomb. Somebody sent my mama a letter bomb because she was trying to make sure that people had access to contraception and had access to cancer screenings and had access to primary health care. I know how disunified the church can be. But I think that we need to look past all of that. That's on the that's on the fringes. It absorbs so much of our attention. It absorbs so much of the media's attention. But we need to look past that and try and seek common ground wherever we can find it. And I tell you, that's not always easy for me to do. And maybe it's not easy for you to do either when we have such stark divisions over such important issues. But I really believe that good people of faith can come to different conclusions on very difficult issues. We have to be respectful of one another and tolerant of one another even when we profoundly disagree with each other. In my, in my family, we just called that Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> but, but that's true of the church. And it's one of the things I've appreciated about President Obama. Because he's always included a great diversity of people around the table. And some people get mad at him about that. But I had the honor of being at the White House last year as well for the White House Easter breakfast. And when I was there, there were these odd collection of people, me and, and Gene Robinson and Al Sharpton and Sister Simone. But there were also these evangelical folks uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention and, and others who, who have been very critical of the president. And I thought to myself when I first sat down, I thought, why are these people here? They are, they're so mean to the president. They say such horrible things. They question his faith. They, they question his ability to lead the country. But as I sat there and ate, I thought, you know, it's so ironic that these people question his Christianity, 
Because here he is modeling for us exactly what it means to be a Christian. He's welcoming everybody to the table, regardless of what they believe or who they are or where they are on life's journey, or even how they might feel about him. And that's a sea change from some of our other presidents. And so I, I respected that. I respected that immensely, and I learned a lesson from the president in that. I also have long believed that Paul had an important point to make about this in Scripture. There is a wonderful reading from Corinthians where Paul talks about what it means to be the body of Christ. And I want to read that to you, and I want to use the translation uh, that Eugene Patterson comes with from the message. And this is what Paul says. He says that we have all these gifts that come in common origin, but are handed out only one by the one Spirit of God. God decides who gets what and when. You can easily see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we said goodbye to our partial and our piecemeal lives. We used to live independently and call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which Jesus has the final say in everything. That is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each one of us is now part of his resurrected body, refreshed and stained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels which we use to identify ourselves are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. Paul goes on to say, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant and not less A body isn't just a single blown up part that is something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I am not elegant like head, embellished with rings, excuse me, and and elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to the body, would that make it so? If ear said, I am not beautiful like I, all expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where God wanted it. But I also want you to think, said Paul, how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. 
An enormous eye or a gigantic head wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each in its proper size and its proper place, no matter how important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out? As a matter of fact, in practice, it works a different way. The lower the part, the more basic, the more necessary. You can live without an eye, for example, but not without a stomach. When it is part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? That's what we ought to be thinking about when we think about the unity of the church. We are all connected. We can't do without one another. We can't do without our conservative brothers and sisters, whether they be here in Portland or be in my home state of South Carolina. We can't do without our Muslim brothers and sisters in this country. We cannot do without our Jewish brothers and sisters in this country. We are all connected, created by the same creator. And we face the same problems, the same problems of global climate change, the same problems of violence and war. And it will take all of us working together, trying to find common ground, setting aside our differences when we can to work with one another. That does not mean That does not mean that we should put aside what is distinctive about our own voice as a church. There's something unique and special about what the United Church of Christ is, what it is we stand for, what it is we are willing to say and do, the risk that we are willing to take in the name of Christ. We shouldn't put that aside. We shouldn't be afraid to be who we are. But at the same time, we shouldn't be afraid to sit down with those who disagree with us and to find common ground when we can find common ground. So we might not agree with everybody on the issue of abortion, but can we find common ground on the issue of climate change? Yes, we can do that. Can we find common ground on the issue of whether civilians ought to be bombed in Syria? Yes, we can find common ground on that. Can we find common ground on how we address gun violence and police accountability? Yes, we can find common ground on those issues. So let us find common ground on those issues because that is what God calls us to do. And at the same time, we can continue to speak out on those issues that are distinctively important to us and try and press the envelope a little bit. But find common ground, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one. Amen.